I'm Tim Rogers, lead pastor here at Grace Point Church. Glad to have you with us. Thanks for joining us here. If you're listening online later, thanks for doing that as well. Um, you may or may not have been alive on December 1st of 1955 when a, I'll call her a young woman because she was 42 years old, so that now is young to me, but when a, when a young woman um, on a bus in Montgomery, Alabama decided that she was no longer going to sit in the very back of the bus or give up her seats to the white people who came into the bus. And if you know U.S. history, you know immediately I'm talking about Rosa Parks' decision on that day at the end of a work day to decide, you know what, I know bus driver that you want me to move back a row or two, but not today. For 42 years of my life, I believed that it wasn't worth the fight to stand up for what I believed. I believed it wasn't worth the fight. I believed that I wasn't an activist. I believed that I wasn't going to be the person who would become the point person who would drive what we now know as a civil rights movement who Martin Luther King uh, you know, uh, came up in support with and has changed the minds and hearts of so many of us across this nation. She believed for 40-some years it wasn't worth the fight, and she believed that she wasn't the one to lead this. <laughs> she believed in other things, but she never thought that she was the one to do this. And, and I don't know about you, but here's what I think is true about you, that there are probably for you, and I know for me, things that I used to believe that I no longer believe. Sometimes things about yourself that you didn't even believe could be true of you that now later in your life you're like, wow, I have changed my view. And maybe it was like Rosa Parks where it was a moment of, you know what, I've just had enough. Or maybe it was more, but here's what I think about all of us, that there are certain things that we hold in our history that at one point in our history we would have said, this will never change. This will never change. There's someone who may be a civil rights activist, not me. I think of the Apostle Paul, for those who may not know who he is, he was an early follower of Jesus, but before he was a follower of Jesus, he was a persecutor of Christians. He killed and imprisoned hundreds, if he could, of people. And then all of a sudden, Paul's life changes and something comes into his life and completely changes who in the world he is. So here's what I think about all of us. That we have an incredible past, and sometimes we can think that our past is going to dictate our future no matter what. There are certain categories of things that we, if we look back on all of us, say, you know what, I never thought I could start my own business. I never thought I could find love again. I never thought I could find faith again. I never thought I could. I never thought I could whatever. That there's certain things that have changed. But there's also, I think, certain things that as of today, as of this moment, you might say, <clears throat> yeah, I don't think this is ever going to change about me. <laughs> for me, it's that the left lane is for passing. <clears throat> Can we agree on that? <clears throat> The right lane is for driving slowly. The left lane is for the rest of us who prefer to get somewhere in an efficient manner, right? Can we agree? And I don't think that I'm ever going to change my mind on that, right? Like there won't be a time 10 years from now where I'll look back and say, you know what? I think the left lane is for driving. No, it's not for driving. Get over, right? And let the people in the left lane move on, right? Maybe for you, something that you think will absolutely never change is how you vote. <laughs> I'm never going to change the way I vote, right? <clears throat> I'm of this party only. I'm never going to change my view on this matter of faith. I believe people should always hold to this ethical standard of sexuality or of identity or gender issues. I'm never going to change my view on this. 
Maybe you're never going to change your view on your habits, your practices, whatever it is, but you might sit here today, and if I could talk to each one of you, and we could just talk around the coffee table, and I would drink water and you would drink coffee because I don't drink coffee, and I would ask you, what are some things about you that just kind of drive you right now? What are some things that, that drive you? What are some things that you think will never change about who you are and that you wake up and they're just a part of who you are? And I think you could identify a few things, and some of those might be, you know what, you know what drives me? I'm a workaholic. I get a, I get a kick out of getting things done. And I'm, I'm a perfectionist. I love it when things are, all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. I mean, I, I, get, a, I get a kick out of seeing my business grow. I mean, I love to, to do advancement work. I love to see development. I love to do that. That's just who I am. I don't see how that's ever going to change. Like, that's who I am. I love to have a clean car on Sundays, right, for some of us. Anyone else, like, when you wash your car, anyone else feel this way? Like, when I finally, finally wash my car, then I begin to see that your car is dirty, right? <laughs> and then I'm like, why don't you losers wash your car, right? Like, and, and I'm like, well, just yesterday, mine was dirty too, like, for months, right? But here's, here's what happens for all of us. <clears throat> it's, hard to it's not hard to assume that what's most important to me should be most important to you. Like all of a sudden it's important for me to wash my car. You know, why don't you wash your car anyway? What embarrassing is to drive your dirty car all over the place. I mean, why don't you vote the way that I do? I mean, how embarrassing is it to vote some way else? I mean, this is so important to me. Look how hard I work. I mean, I get up early every day. Come on, you gotta be kidding me. You can build your own business, I did. You can start this, I did. I mean, why don't you get your act? It's so important to me. It's become so important to me. It's so hard not to assume that's what's most important to me should be most important to you. And it's not hard to add a little weight of judgment to you for what you're not doing that I am. Just to test this out, have you ever said, if it were me, I wouldn't do that. If it were me, I would never have made that decision. If it were me and fill in the blank, and if you have ever said that, and I have, here's what we're saying. That person should think, act, and believe like I do, because the things that are most important to me should be most important to you. Here's what I also think. We all have important things that are, if you will, in charge of us. We have things that, as we wake up in the day, they just draw us with a, with a pull that is that it's impossible to push off. I mean, we just wake up, and sometimes all of a sudden your coffee brewer is going, and you have no idea what happened. You're like, I think I started that. Because we just do those things. We just start the day in certain ways, and you start your day with the habits and values and beliefs that are so intrinsically important to you. They just kind of draw you, and you don't verbalize them anymore, but they just draw you, and they kind of become, whether we like it or not, in charge of us. Many of these things are good, by the way. Some of you have started to create habits of health that have tremendously shaped who you are. Those are good habits. You don't wake up and think, you know what, today I'm going to exercise. You just do it because it's part of who you are. Those are great things. So I'm not against habits. I'm not against things that move you in a certain way. I just want to identify that we all have intrinsic things in us that draw us and move us and kind of, if you will, are in charge of us. <clears throat> and here's why I bring all of this up. Because in this series on Jesus, I'm trying to make the case that there was a time when no one on the planet knew who Jesus was. <clears throat> While you sitting here this morning certainly have an opinion about him, there was a time in history when no one had an opinion about him. He was new. People formed opinions about him on the basis of what he taught and what he did, the signs and the miracles and the statements he made about himself. And this third part of this longer series we're in, Jesus looks around, here's what I think. 
I think he's looking around at the culture that he's in and saying, you know what, there are some things. There are some things that are in charge of you. There are some things that are in charge of you that you're not verbalizing. There are some things that are in charge of you that you think are actually really good. There are some things in charge of you that are good, that you think are good, and that you think are godly. But they're actually not. And what I love about Jesus is he sees things and then asks questions that are deep and profound and change the heart and the soul. And here's the question that I think is underneath what Jesus is going to do today that I want to put out to you, and then I want to get into the story so you can see it and decide if you think it's there as well. As Jesus looks out on the religious leaders and on the, 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 the climate of his day, here's the question I think he's asking. It's not just what's in charge of you, because what's in charge of us moves us. Our highest values drive us. It's not just the question, what is in charge of you? Here's the question that I think Jesus is asking, and it's a different one. I think he's asking this question, who is in charge of what's in charge of you? Who's in charge of what's in charge of you? The question is different. The framework is different. The way to see it is different. And Jesus comes and he sees, I believe, a world... (laughs) in which people are waking up every morning and they start their coffee brew and they have no idea that they did it. They see the law a certain way, they see God a certain way, and they led in to create a world based on what is most important to them. It's in charge of them. But Jesus comes and asks the question, hold on, I see what's in charge of you, but let me ask you a different one. Who's in charge of what's in charge of you? Here's how this plays out. If you've ever experienced a what when you should have experienced a who you will feel the pain of this. If you've ever in school broken a rule, if you've ever been called into the principal's office, if you've ever broken some kind of principle, command, rule, law, whatever it is, and you've encountered the weight of the law and the rule broken, you've encountered a what? If you've ever broken a law, if you've ever broken a rule, if you've ever been in trouble, and instead of encountering the what, you encountered a who, who sat down with you and talked to you about what just happened. Now, you've encountered a who and not just a what. And what Jesus is seeing is that what was in charge, not a who is in charge. And so he does something kind of crazy. He goes to Jerusalem. And he goes to Jerusalem uh, at the beginning of a festival. And he enters into the city of Jerusalem And he doesn't just haphazardly run into the story that we're going to run into. I believe he walks into Jerusalem, sees what's happening in the culture, and says, you know what, I'm going to do something. And I'm going to do something to tick some people off in here. What's the best way I can do that? And what he does is revealed in John chapter 5. And so I'd love to have you turn there with me. If you have a Bible with you, I invite you to turn to John chapter 5. If you don't own a Bible or have one with you, that Bible in the pew is our gift to you, by the way, to take home with you. You can also pull up John 5 on your device, whatever that might be. Sure hope it's an iPhone, not an Android, but I'll forgive you if it is. But we'd love to have you track with us in John 5. Um, we're reading from the New International Version of the Bible here. Um, we hope that's helpful as you, you engage it. But John chapter 5, in the context, again, Jesus is walking into Jerusalem for the start of a festival. So we'll see it here in chapter 5, verse 1. Sometime later, we don't know how much time uh, passed from John 5, 4 to 5, precisely at least, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. And here's what you should know, excuse me, about these festivals. 
The festivals always begin with this idea of what was called the Sabbath. Um, the festivals, they're what you would expect. They're a time for families to gather. They're a time for um, relatives to come to town. They're a time, honestly, because there's no um, Twitter, there's no Visco, there's no Insta, there's no Facebook. For those of us who are older, right, that's still a thing, I think. There's no other way to stay in touch with some of the social needs of the world without having people actually present with you. And so festivals were an incredibly enriching and strengthening time for the heritage and relationships in a community. And one of the, the, the fabric of festivals is that the beginning, almost inevitably, the beginning part of the festival usually lasted several days. The beginning part was considered basically a Sabbath or a rest day. Like we're going to start by putting everything aside. We're going to start with this culture and value of a rest to begin. And that's kind of the way festivals, um, and particularly in this case, we believe this was a Passover, worked. So Jesus goes up to Jerusalem for one of the festivals. And in going there, there's this mindset of we've come here to rest. We've come here to have relationships. We've come here to remember who God is. Boom. Now, there is, verse 2, in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Now, if you don't know what a colonnade is, I'll forgive you. We don't use that word hardly ever. But here's what Jesus sees. He goes to Jerusalem, and he walks into a gate. I don't know why they call it the Sheep Gate. There's history on that. But anyway, they call it the Sheep Gate. It's in the northern part of Jerusalem. And as he walks in, he sees in front of him a double pool right there in Bethesda. It's not quite like the double pools, the big pools you'll see at a resort, you know, a couple different shapes, but there's a bridge that goes over top, kind of the middle of this double pool, and around the double pool are five colonnades, which are just rows of columns upon which there is a roof. Okay, so these are larger structures. As Jesus looks, he sees double pool, bridge over top, likely some steps heading down to that pool, and five, kind of this large kind of courtyard area with five covered colonnades right there. And in that space, as he looks out and sees that, he enters here specifically for a particular reason. In and around this space are, I believe, dozens and dozens of people who are looking for help. Here, verse 3, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. So just to point out, the Messiah and the Savior of the world is not coming in through the VIP entrance to Jerusalem, just to be clear. <laughs> He's coming in through the back alley that people wish no one knew existed. <laughs> this is the Lyme, the Blaine, the paralyzed. Don't go that way. There's a whole bunch of ways to go in, but Jesus goes that way. And then he goes on. One of them, so Jesus looks and he sees these people. One who was there had been, there, been an invalid for 38 years. That's a long time. Now let me ask you, if you're an invalid for 38 years, you're at this pool, what do you think is going to happen next? Probably the same thing that happened yesterday, to be honest. I've been here for 38 years. There was supposed healing power in this pool, so that's why people came to it. The, the tradition said that if you get into the water after the water, um, the, the surface is disturbed, the tradition said those were angels that came down on the water, and the first one in gets a get-out-of-jail-free card. Okay? Like, you get healed if you're the first one in. That's what tradition said. Later on, we can see in the kind of the archaeology of the place, there were some springs underwater that were now will bubble up. But so the, the tradition was, get near this pool, and as soon as the water ripples a little bit, if you're the first one in, man, you win, fountain of youth, go home. So he's been there 38 years. I don't know. I mean, after a while, I begin to give up hope, you know? I mean, after about 
couple days, I'd be like, eh, is there another plan? But 38 years. So Jesus sees this man, 38 years. When Jesus, verse 5, excuse me, verse 6, when he saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Which is a brilliant question. <clears throat> the guy says, no, I'm fine. I'm just here for the company. <laughs> what kind of question is this? Like, do you, do you want to get well? Do you... <laughs> yes, I, I do. That's why I'm here. Now, now, so here's what he says in verse 7. Sir, the invalid replied, I have, he doesn't even answer the question. He says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. So I'll be here tomorrow. He doesn't actually answer the question, do you want to get well? He's like, I, I don't even think about getting well. I can't even get to the pool, let alone getting well. And I've kind of stopped even caring or believing that I can get well because it's been, well, 38 years. So he didn't even answer the question. So then look at what Jesus does, verse 8. So Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. <clears throat> so at once the man was cured, and he picked up his mat and walked. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It's a good story to this point, but here's what's interesting about this story, several interesting things. One is this story differs significantly from the story we covered last week. Last week we were here, we looked at a, um, a, a son who was dying in a city two days away from where Jesus was, and, and his father came to Jesus and said, please, please, please heal my son. Jesus kind of pushed back a little bit. The man pushed through Jesus' resistance, and then Jesus said, go home, I'm going to tell you now he's healed. I'm going to ask you to have faith that what I'm telling you now is actually going to happen. So the man goes home and boom, son is healed. In this case, this man who's healed, he doesn't even know who Jesus is. He doesn't even know who this man is who came to him. In fact, Jesus heals somebody without him expressing any faith in Jesus. There's no faith here. The man didn't say, I believe you can do all things, or I've come to you because I know you have this history of doing this. The man is, he's just there. Like Jesus just comes and picks him out of the crowd. And without any faith and without him even knowing who Jesus was, Jesus heals the man. It's amazing. Now, I would ask the question, why is this? <laughs> why is it that Jesus, when he comes to Jerusalem at the Sabbath feel of a festival, would walk into a place where there's dozens of lame, paralyzed, blind, Pick a guy out and be like, hey, I'm not even going to introduce myself to you. I just want to heal you and move on. And the reason comes next. <clears throat> Excuse me. The end of verse 9. The day on which this took place was a, what? Sabbath. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so... The Jewish leaders, as he picked up his mat and walked past them, said to the man who had been healed, George, we are so grateful that you are walking again. Go in peace. Right, you can read it, you can see it, of course. They, their first thought of, listen, it's the Sabbath. It's the Sabbath. What are the rules of the Sabbath? Here it is. In case you forgot, the law forbids you to carry your mat. I know it's been 38 years, but listen, I want you to stop for a minute. You're in violation of the rules. And I'm going to be honest with you, they are right. 
Because here's what Jeremiah says. Jeremiah 17, 21. This is what the Lord says. Be careful not to carry a load on the Sabbath day or bring it through the gates which Jesus entered of Jerusalem. Now, just to emphasize this, it's important that this is what the Lord says. This isn't what a later teacher said. This isn't what a later scribe said. This is what God says. God says, don't carry a load on the Sabbath. And here goes George carrying his mat on the Sabbath. If you want to honor God, what should you do? Do what God wants. George, God doesn't want you carrying your mat on the Sabbath. You're in violation. They're right. And I got to be honest with you. I think I would probably feel the same way. Which is exactly why Jesus did what he did. He didn't heal the man because he had incredible faith. This isn't a story about faith. This is a story about things that got in charge of people that shouldn't be in charge of people. This is about people forgetting who was in charge of what was in charge of them. This is a story about Jesus agitating all of us who have any religious tendencies. It's a story about Jesus agitating any of us who think that because I clean my car and clean my life, you should clean your car and you should clean your life. This is a story of asking who's behind what's in front of you? Who's in charge of what's in charge of you? Jesus and his disciples did this more than once. In Mark, Jesus is walking with his disciples through a grain field, a wheat field, and the disciples are picking um, heads of grain on the Sabbath. (laughs) And so the religious leaders are there, and they say to Jesus, hey, 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 whoa, whoa, did you not know this is illegal? You're not allowed to do that. To which Jesus says this, and this helps clarify what he's trying to do here in the pool of Bethesda. He says this, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So, and this is such a powerful statement at the end, so here's my conclusion, here's my implication. Because the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath, therefore the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. I'm in charge of the Sabbath. You think the Sabbath is in charge. That's wrong. I'm in charge of what you think is in charge of you. I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You think God tells this man not to carry his mat? I told him that he's healed. Therefore, let him carry his mat. What? What? Jesus... You don't get it. Like, if we start doing anything that we want and violate all of our codes, like, this is going to be mass chaos to which Jesus You don't understand. You've allowed, because you've gotten older and crusty, <laughs> you've, you've allowed the Sabbath, the things that, first of all, you were in love with God for. You thought this was amazing that I could live my whole life and, and just follow him and give my whole life to him. But over the years, your perfectionism has caused you not to be able to celebrate that this man who is lame is now able to walk because the first thing you see isn't a man who is healed. The first thing you see is a guy violating your ethics. You want to nail him because the Sabbath is in charge of you. God isn't in charge of you. You're missing it. 
And so this is why he heals this man, not because the man expresses great faith, but because he wants to say to religious people everywhere, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. The Sabbath was put in place to serve man, not the other way around, not man put in place to serve the Sabbath. This really ticks the religious leaders off. Verse 14, Jesus, or excuse me, yeah, verse 14, Jesus found him at the temple, this, this man, and said to him, see, you're well again, stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Sidebar, I think he's speaking about not that sin led to his lameness, but that if you don't repent and turn from your sin, there's eternal consequences in your life because this man had not expressed any faith yet. I think this is an invitation to faith for Jesus. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jewish leaders, that it was Jesus who had made him well, because to that point he didn't know what was going on. Verse 16, so because Jesus was doing things, these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Verse 19, and then Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does, yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. And then he makes this statement in verse 22. Moreover, the father judges no one, but he has entrusted all judgment to the son. The son is in charge of enforcing the rules, judgment. Verse 23, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. And so then I would ask the question, then what are the rules that the son is going to enforce? What is the judgment that the son is going to bring? Verse 24, and then he makes this statement to finish it. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. So let me just pause Jesus for a minute. You just said that the Father has given over the ability to judge to you. And what you're saying is, for those who believe on you, you will not judge them. But they will pass over from death to life, just to be, make sure I understand that. Yeah, this is what Jesus says, verse 24. I tell you, whoever hears my word and obeys the Sabbath, no, 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 whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged, but is crossed over from death to life. <clears throat> Jesus makes this incredibly powerful observation of the culture at the time and draws out in a way that agitates any of us who are religious and asks the question, so who's in charge of what's in charge of you? Who's in charge of the things that are in charge of you? And I want to go back just for a minute because I think all of us have things that are in charge of us, whether it's our workaholism, perfectionism, moralism, any other isms that we want, that drive us without thought, that the people around us feel the weight of, 
I just want to ask who, not what, is in charge of you. Who, not what, is in charge of you. Not what are your standards, not what those are, and I don't mind some standards and habits, but I want to know who's behind what's in charge of you and what's leading you. You know, one of the things that struck me as I was thinking about this idea is that Jesus had um, a lot of followers along the way, and one of the closest ones to him, the most intriguing to me, was his brother, um, James. I don't know what, what your relationship is like with your siblings, so, you know, no um, elbow jabs anywhere or anything, okay? But can you imagine your brother saying something nice about you? Depending on their age, maybe. But here's ultimately... Here's ultimately what James had to say about the kind of world that Jesus came to implement. And here's what he said in James 2.13, but it actually has an allusion all the way to the Old Testament. Back in Amos, the prophet Amos said this, but James put it in fresh terms after he encountered Jesus' teaching. And he made this simple, powerful statement. He said, listen, mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment all day. Mercy triumphs over judgment. <clears throat> and this is exactly what Jesus was doing to this man who needed healing. He said, come on. Hey, religious leaders, everybody, I know you're looking at this day. It's a Sabbath rest day. Let's just do what God wants. Carry no weight. Do nothing wrong today. And maybe we can heal Monday through, uh, or uh, Sunday through, you know, Friday. Take Saturday off. We're good to go. But what if I heal on the Sabbath? Come on. What if I take your rules, kind of bug you with them a little bit? What if I say that there's someone who needs healing on this day? What are you going to do? <laughs> and the problem is, for all of us, that the rules that we have come to appreciate because they give guidance and direction can sometimes, if we're not careful, harden the heart to the point where I no longer care. about the people around me. I just care about what they're doing. I just care that they're meeting my standards. I just wish that you would work more. I just wish you would sleep around less. I mean, do you really want to know why you're having a problem with so many relationships? Good grief. Just look at how many people you slept with in the last five years. Okay? That'll, that'll solve it. That's what's in charge, not who's in charge. Right? You having a problem with your identity issues? Come on. If you just follow the Bible, you'd be fine. I mean, it's pretty simple. Here it is. You pull up some Bible verses to help you out. Boom. That's what's in charge. And Jesus comes into all of this space and he says, well, yeah, that's great. But who's in charge of that? If a loving Heavenly Father whose mercy triumphs over judgment is in charge of that, then how I treat you and how you treat me is first of all about a who and not about a what. So this morning, if you've experienced a Jesus, but you haven't experienced the kindness and mercy of a Jesus, who I'm talking about. I want to encourage you to consider a conversation about that kind of Jesus, because that is how he presents himself. When he walks in to the pool of Bethesda, and he picks someone out who has no faith in him at all, and says, I'm just going to heal you. I'm just going to heal you. I'm going to do it today to bother some people who are religious. If you've never experienced a Jesus like that, that's a conversation I would love to have with you. And if you have experienced a Jesus like that, and if you're anything like me, and the temptation and the struggle over the years is to harden our hearts and look around and see all of the violations first and not the mercy first, I want to encourage you to have the courage to ask this question in your parenting. Who's in charge of what's in charge of me? I want to have 
encourage you to have the courage to ask, in my business that I lead, who's in charge of what's in charge of my business? In my marriage relationship, who's in charge of what's in charge of this? And how I interact with my classmates, my friends online, who's in charge of what's in charge of me? Because every day of the week, mercy triumphs over judgment. And that is how Jesus introduces himself to the world. Next week, we're going to hear part four, and it's going to be a fun fish story with a unique ending. Look forward to seeing you back for that. Will you pray with me? Our good God and Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to have the courage to consider mercy over judgment, to have the courage to ask these questions about who's in charge of what is in charge of me. Help us to replay the story of Jesus showing up at a pool, healing a man who didn't even know who in the world he was, just to make the point that it was on the Sabbath and that he is Lord of the Sabbath, even risking making it look like he's disobeying God or disobeying the Bible so that he can love someone extremely, so that he can show a kind of mercy that the law itself can never show. And so I pray that you would help our hearts never to be so hard that we forget who is in charge of what is in charge of us. I thank you for your kindness, God. I thank you in your mercy you sent your son while we were still far from you. That we could experience this kind of mercy that triumphs over judgment. Help us to share that mercy with everyone that we interact with. We pray this in Jesus' name.